Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, my friends. I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Depression, anxiety, chronic pain, phobias, obsessive thoughts, the evidence is compelling. The roots of these issues may reside in the traumas of our parents, grandparents, and even great-grandparents. The latest research affirms that traumatic experience is passed on to future generations and that this emotional inheritance hidden in everything from our gene expression to everyday language plays a far greater role in our health than ever previously understood. Building off the work of leading experts in neuroscience and of post and post-traumatic stress, Mark Willin, which is my guest today, has developed a pioneering approach to identifying and breaking these inherited family patterns. His new book, or his book, It Didn't Start With You, is accessible, uh, pragmatic, and prescriptive. Uh, it's a guide to a method that has helped thousands of people reclaim their lives. And Mark Willin is a director of Family Constellation Institute in San Francisco. Mark is also a world leader in the field of inherited family trauma. He's a best-selling author and sought-after lecturer. He teaches at hospitals, clinics, conferences, universities, and teaches uh, and teaching centers. Sorry, around the world, including University of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Uh, JFK University, Western Psychiatric Institute. Man, I'm having a day of it today, aren't I? Uh, (laughs) uh, The New York Open Center, the Omega Institute, and many, many others. And his his book, It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle is literally a groundbreaking book. I have loved reading this book and have gotten so much from it. I also got a lot from this conversation because one of the things that you guys know that I love learning more about is trauma. And this is a new, uh, I guess, idea for me to, to dive further into, which is that our 
trauma can usually start with family. A lot of it can start with uh, our family's traumas being passed down to us, which I found uh, quite interesting and I wanted to dive further into that with Mark, which we did in this conversation. So if you do get something from this conversation, and I have no doubt that you will, please share it around to all your friends and your family. Go and get a copy of Mark's book, It Didn't Start With You. I'll make sure the link is in the show notes below for you guys to go and do that. I highly encourage you to read this book. It is a fascinating read and is also a very helpful read too. Mark specializes in working with depression, anxiety, obsessive thoughts, fears, panic disorders, self-injury, chronic pain, and persistent symptoms and conditions. And this conversation, I hope, helps a lot of you guys that may be struggling with all those things and you still have uh, a bit of work to do regarding your trauma, as I believe we all do to some regard. Uh, Also, my friends, don't forget that my first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order. I'll link that in the show notes below, but I hope that you guys can get a copy of that and you enjoy the read too. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box and learn why it didn't start with you in terms of your trauma as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Mark Willin. Jay, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm thankful for your time, my friend, and really, really am grateful because like I mentioned in the intro, it's a part of trauma that I haven't really touched upon, and I am very interested in the subject because I've been through quite a bit of trauma in my own life, and I know my family has. So thank you so much for making the time. Before we dive further into inherited family trauma, what it actually is, and asking you more and more questions about it. My very first question for you is a question that I love asking all my guests at the very start, which is, what does success look like for you? Oh, boy. Um, uh, Following what you love. You know, it's not about money. It's not about um, accolades in the world. It's about living a life where you live from your heart, you live from your body voice, and that's a term we use in trauma, you know, paying attention to uh, what you feel inside and following your dreams, they live inside us. Why that specifically for you? When was the moment that you realized that that was success? Has it been this gradual thing over the course of your life, or was it more of a catalyst moment somewhere for you? No, I had to work hard for it. <laughs> I, you know, what led me into this work, you know, in the beginning was I, uh, you, you'll learn this when you um, finish my book. I lost my vision in, in one of my eyes. And um, I, I could tell that story because it's kind of interesting. Please do. Um, all right. So I talk about trauma. I had symptoms that I couldn't explain. And so this is about 30 years ago, I began to lose the vision in one of my eyes. I had no clue what it was. And I go to the doctors and I'm diagnosed with a a chronic form of retinopathy um, for which there's no cure. And, you know, the best they could tell me is, well, we think it's stress. We don't know any more than that. And then the way it was progressing, they told me that I'm likely going to lose the vision in my other eye as well. And, you know, I was pretty freaked out and desperate um, to find help because there wasn't any. So I went on a search for healing, Jay, where, you know, literally this search 
led me halfway around the globe to your hemisphere. Um, I ended up in Indonesia where I learned from, you know, several wise teachers who taught me some fundamental principles about uh, about life, about healing, one of which was the importance of healing my relationship with my parents, which had been pretty broken. Uh, but before I could heal that relationship, I had to heal what stood in the way. Now, I don't know it at the time, but it's inherited family trauma, what, what we're going to talk about today, specifically the anxiety that I had inherited from my grandparents, all of whom were orphaned in some way. Three of them lost their mothers when they were babies. And the fourth, she loses her father at age one. So ultimately, she loses her mother, too, in the grief. And this anxiety, this was the real cause of my vision loss. So the same as my parents, I had inherited um, uh, th this feeling of being broken from a mother's love. Because, you know, remember, they lose all their mothers. And this is what was passed down in my family. Now, the, the, the way it would affect me is as a child, a young boy, five, six years old, every time my mom would leave the house, I'd be panicked and I'd run into her room and I'd go into her drawers, I'd pull them open and I'd cry into, you know, the five-year-old boy crying into her scarves and her nightgowns, thinking that I'd never see her again, which, which would have been true for, again, for my grandparents. Um, and all I would have left was her smell. That would be the only thing that's on breathing in her smell. And I remember sharing this with her 40 years later, you know, mom, when you would leave, I would go into your room and cry into your clothes. And she said she had done the same thing too. And then my sister reading my book said, honey, I did that too when mom would leave. And, you know, it was the family reaction to uh, all these losses of the mother. And then after healing that broken bond, that broken attachment, with my mom, my, my sight came back, my vision came back. And afterwards I felt, you know, compelled to share some of the principles I learned and ultimately um, uh, developed a method for healing the effects of inherited family trauma. Wow. That is an amazing story. Uh, I'm curious about diving further into what actual inherited family trauma is. Where does it officially begin? And yeah. what is inherited family trauma for those people that don't yeah. know? It's a good question, yeah. So let's say one of our parents or our grandparents lost their mother or their father, like I just talked about when they were young, or our mom or dad, maybe they were sent away uh, to boarding school or they were raised by relatives or a grandmother or placed in an orphanage. Um, or maybe you know one of their siblings died tragically when they were small or they grew up in a war uh, a war-torn country, an event like this can devastate the family. And the reaction to the trauma, this is the important part, it doesn't necessarily stop with the people who, who experienced it. Um, the feelings and the sensations, specifically the stress response, the way our genes express, this passes forward to the children and the grandchildren affecting them in a similar way, even though they didn't personally experience the trauma. Huh. And, How does that happen? <laughs> well, see, that's the next important question. huh? <laughs> so um, when a trauma happens, it, it changes us. Mm -hmm. So literally, it, it causes a chemical change um, in our DNA, yeah. um, you know, in our body, a molecular change, a chemical change. 
And this can change how our genes function sometimes for generations. So technically, there's this thing that happens, this trauma where we're little and our uh, our brother gets hit by a car or, um, you know, we our mom dies suddenly, you know, with the next baby and childbirth, something. So technically, after this thing happens, there's a chemical tag which attaches to our DNA and tells the cells to use or ignore um, certain genes, enabling us to deal uh, with this trauma that just happened. And then the way our genes are affected changes how we act or feel. For example, we can become sensitive or reactive to situations that are similar to the original trauma, even if that trauma occurred a generation earlier, um, so that we have a better chance of uh, surviving it in this generation. Let me give you an example. Um, if our grandparents came from a war-torn country, so there's people being shot, bombs going off, uh, uniformed men lining people up in the square, people being taken away. Now, grandparents, they would develop a, I'm going to call it a skill set. Yeah. Let's say it's sharper reflexes or quicker reaction times or uh, shrinking back or numbing out reactions to the violence that they're experiencing. So this is what's passed forward to help their progeny, to help their descendants survive the trauma that they experience. So the problem is here we are born in the suburbs or in a safe country, and we've inherited a stress response with the dials set to 10 prepared for a catastrophe that never arrives. And we don't make the link. We're not thinking that our anxiety, our hypervigilance, our, our depression is connected with our parents and our grandparents. We just think we're wired this way, Jay. This is how I am. I've always been this way. And we don't connect it with the generation prior. How can we identify or really tell whether this is our experiences are based upon what has happened to us in the present moment or whether or not it has happened to our parents and has been passed on and is attached to our DNA? How do we tell? That's another good question. So, um, yeah, we can be born with an anxiety or a depression and never separated from the events of the previous generation. That's true. And we, we just think this is who we are. But we can also have a sudden uh, onset. For example, we can experience a, a fear or a symptom that strikes suddenly or uh, unexpectedly when we reach a certain age. For example, um, we're 30 and all of a sudden lose interest in our relationship without connecting it to our grandmother was widowed at 30 and never married again, or our parents divorced at 30. We don't make these connections. So a certain age um, can, can be a sign. Another one, um, I'm going to call it an, a, a certain event or milestone in our lives. For example, uh, a triggering event. We could get married. Um, and without realizing it, now that sets into motion something. In the book, I talk about a woman. She loves her fiance. She thinks this is, I can't wait to get married. This guy's the best. But as soon as she marries him, she begins to feel trapped and she can't understand it because she loves this guy. But when we looked at her family history, we found out back in, I forget which country, I think either Iraq or Lebanon, um, both of her grandmothers were married as, as child brides. One was nine and one was 12 to these much older men, you know, 30, 40 years older. 
Now, what was interesting when I looked in her family is both of her sisters experienced the, a similar, the, the same event, but experienced different reactions to the trauma. Mm. One sister married a guy 40 years older, like the grandmothers, and the other sister refused to ever get in a relationship at all, lest she be trapped. So tr being married could be a trigger. Another trigger is moving to a new place. And then suddenly we become uh, depressed or, you know, depressed like our ancestors that may have been persecuted or, or forced out of their homeland or enslaved. Um, another triggering event could be um, getting rejected by our partner. Mm -hmm. So everything's going fine. We've been with this partner. Maybe this partner has only been, um, you know, we've only been dating this person for two, three months, but the grief we're experiencing is devastating. It, 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 and this leads us back to a deeper grief, an earlier grief, um, perhaps one that was insurmountable. Um, uh, maybe, maybe a break in the attachment with our mom where we lost the, the closest person to us, our mother, because dad was drinking or, or she went to university for uh, a month and we were left uh, or we were in an incubator. There's so many events that can break the attachment, but we may not feel the full effects of it until we have a rejection or an abandonment later on. That becomes the triggering event. Um, or I'll give you a, another one, one more. We go to have a child and all of a sudden it's as though there's this ancestral alarm clock inside of us. It starts ringing I once worked with this woman who she was consumed with anxiety, Jay. She had no idea what was going on. Um, and so we're trying to break it down. When did this anxiety start? And she said, uh, six, seven months ago. What was going on six, seven, eight months ago? She goes, well, that's when I got pregnant. And then I said, ah, so you're pregnant. So let, let's keep going. Um, what's the worst thing that could happen by being pregnant or having a child, which is one of the questions I ask in my book. And she said, well, well, I could harm my baby. And then I said, well, did you ever harm a baby? And she said, no. And I said, did anyone in your family ever accidentally harm a baby? And she was about to say no. And she, goes, and she said, oh, wait a minute. And she begins to tell the story of her grandmother, who was a young woman with a brand new baby, who lights a candle, it catches the curtains on fire, catches the house on fire. She, the baby's upstairs on the second floor. The stairs are inflamed. She can't, she can't get up the stairs. The baby dies in the fire. And then the client says to me, but we were never allowed to talk about it. And in that moment, um, which is common, this is what happens and often why traumas repeat. And in that moment, she made the link that she had inherited her grandmother's terror. And then after that, we could you know, we could break the pattern. Does this happen or does the inherited family trauma mainly get passed down from your mother or is it also your father and grandfather and, or is it all grandparents combined? And, and if so, is it mainly because we, we spend the majority of our time in our mother's womb. So we're developing in there and our DNA is changing over time. So obviously it would make sense, right? For, the inherited trauma to latch onto our DNA in the womb compared to the father, right? Who only has like a small little uh, contribution. <laughs> but it's man, actually it's stranger than you think that, you know, it's first of all, let me say this memories of trauma are imprinted both on our 
uh, parents and our grands and our grandparents, sperm cells and egg cells. And then this information passes forward to us. And as a result, we we're born with altered brains. I mean, to put it simply, we're born with an altered brain that's preparing us biologically to cope with a trauma that's similar to the ones that they experience, which means we're born with the stress response, the fight, flight, freeze response. Now, uh, in answer to your question, um, trauma is an equal opportunity employer. So it, it's um, mother, father, grandmother, grandfather. Um, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, one of the most replicated studies in all of epigenetics um, is they traumatize mice in a lab by separating them from their mothers. So they take baby mice. And I'll tell you one study, I talk about this in the book, um, researchers prevented the females from nurturing their pups up to three hours a day uh, for the first two weeks of life. That was it. Three hours a day, first first two weeks of life. And then later in their, their, their lives, these babies, these offspring exhibited behaviors to what we would call depression in humans. And the symptoms seemed to worsen as the mice age. And then what was crazier, surprisingly, some of the males, they only did male mice because you can track the sperm uh, imprint easier than the egg imprint. It's less complicated. Some of the males didn't express the behaviors themselves, but appeared to epigenetically transmit these behavioral changes to their female offspring. That would be, Jay, like fathers going off to war Mm -hmm. and coming back uh, numb from the trauma and their daughters carrying their father's fight, flight, or freeze response, his shaking, his terror, his shutdown. Uh, but it, but it's not just fathers and daughters. You know, as I said, male male children and female children are equally impacted by a mother, mother's or a father's trauma. So I'm just going to give you just a couple new studies that I list on my Facebook page. There's a recent Journal of American Medicine Psychiatry that followed mothers who suffered trauma as children and found that their daughters were more likely to struggle with depression and and bipolar disorder. And then there's a recent Tufts University study that looked at men, looked at men who suffered trauma as children and saw that that they could pass their anxiety to their children through their sperm. And this was the first study, the reason I bring it up, because it's so significant, it's the first study to show that human sperm mirrored the same changes, the same non-coding RNA changes that they found in the mice that were traumatized as pups. I might be getting ahead of myself here, but is it safe to say that if our grandparents and our parents were conscious of this and they did the work to heal themselves of that trauma, is it safe to say that that inherited trauma is pretty much stopped right then and there? It won't be passed on to the future generations? Very smart. I love that question. Uh, yeah, it is important for us to do our own work because we can literally, through doing our work, change how our DNA expresses. This is so significant. So this, I, I think I'm going to go back into the science for a little bit, Jay, because I think it's so important here. So again, researchers are now able to reverse trauma symptoms in mice. And I keep bringing up mice because um, mice and humans share a similar genetic makeup. Over 90% of the genes in humans and mice are similar. 80% are identical. So that's why we can 
look at mice studies and extrapolate and look at uh, human study. We because you can't traumatize humans, at least you shouldn't, or you shouldn't traumatize mice either. Um, but you know they they anyway. That's another story, hey. Um, but uh, when we expose the mice who've been traumatized to positive experiences, it changes the way their DNA expresses. Technically, it inhibits the enzyme that causes DNA methylation or histone modifications. These are two of the mechanisms that cause transgenerational epigenetic inheritance. So when these mice are placed in a positive environment, a low stress environment, the trauma symptoms reversed, their behaviors improved. Um, and this prevented, this is your question, the symptoms from being transmitted to the next generation. Um, well, actually, there's, there's interesting research out of Australia um, just a couple months ago that found that people who recover from PTSD have positive responses, such as resilience and post-traumatic growth. And this is pretty exciting news, but I want to get back to humans. So mice aren't the only ones that benefit. Um, it's the way we heal from, from trauma, both inherited trauma and trauma, early life trauma, trauma in our lives. We've got to calm our brain stress response, whether it's been inherited um, through our parents or grandparents, sperm or sperm cells or egg cells, or that trauma happened to us in early life. I, I could go on and talk about how I believe we people heal, if you like. Let me get on to the healing in just a moment. But I had another question yeah. regarding like the inherited trauma. Um, so regarding the the extent of the family traumas that we do experience, is one family trauma or one trauma response from an individual, is that going to be worse? So when it gets passed on to say their kid is that is that child's response going to be therefore worse or is that really depending on the kind of trauma that that person has experienced or is it just trauma in general that is passed on that gives us these horrible experiences it's a, it's a very interesting question uh so what i see is maybe if the trauma happens in that first generation to the parents and the grandparents they're often um, uh, rigidified, uh, shut down, numbed out, just to function. So, you know, the grandparents, you know, the father, he comes back from war, maybe he's all tightened or, or they don't feel um, the, the, the trauma responses are so grave, um, so, so intense that they're shut down just to function. And here we are, a generation or two later, expressing the full, ex, uh, the full Monty of this trauma. We're feeling what they couldn't feel. So I, I'm not saying the stress response is less. What I'm saying is a generation or two down the pike, I've seen that we can be the lightning rod. We can be the, um, the we, it's almost like, mom, I feel everything that you didn't let yourself feel. Dad, I feel everything that you didn't like, that you, your trauma symptoms, your shutdown keeps you functioning. And here I am, and I'm the one going crazy with all the feelings. So I can't say the trauma response is greater or worse. What I can say is more distance from the trauma, often the more we feel it. 
what is the appropriate age to really be diving into and asking, I guess you call them bridging questions to our family and our grandparents. And here's another interesting question regarding healing and uh, sort of forgiveness as, as a whole, like forgiving our, our parents. What if the, your parent isn't alive? What do you do then? Yeah, so a lot of the work is done um, through visualization. You know, some people's parents are passed away yeah. or they have a rotten relationship with their parents. And so a lot of the work has to be done in our inner images or visualizations. You know, I talk about this in the book a lot, whether we visualize something or actually uh, experience it in, I'm going to call it real life, the same regions of the brain, the same neurons activate. In fact, the brain doesn't know. So um, the difference, uh, whether we're experiencing something or visualizing something, the same healing will take place. The brain doesn't care. It just wants the healing. So I like your question because a lot of times uh, people will say to me, look, I have a break in the bond with my mom and I, I can't heal this relationship with her in real life because I get triggered which is smart because if you still go home shrinking, tightening, uh, rageful, hateful, you know, not a lot of work's going to get done. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I suggest, you know, working with a photo of the mother. So I'm using this uh, cup coaster, um, maybe to tape a photo over the pillow on the left side, uh, the feminine side of the mother and saying these words before they go to bed. Um, hey, mom, um, Hold me at night while I'm sleeping so we can heal this break in the bond that took place between us. Teach me how to trust your love, how to, how to receive it and how to let it in. And then visualizing that, um, uh, that this would be, um, uh, how do I say it? Guided by a higher force, I would say. Um, or you're talking to the part of your mother that you can maybe her higher self or, or some way in which you're able to not feel triggered by this picture, but to really let the healing happen. Mom, if she had received mom, if she had received enough from her mom would be another way to put it. And then to let this healing happen visually in our inner images. I don't know if I answered your question, um, but I, but I like the direction we went. Was that sort of, is that sort of all part of those bridging questions? I, I guess I went in a different direction in asking. Um, a bridging if the question isn't there, isn't there, but is it the same sort of thing, is same sort of way, or is it different? Well, so a, a bridging question, the way I use that phrase is let's say that we have, uh, we've asked one, one of the questions I ask in my book is, what's your worst fear? If the worst thing happened to you, if things went terribly wrong, if, if, if things suddenly fell apart, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? What's, what's, uh, and this is before you had kids, because most people, if the parents would say something terrible will happen to my children. So I like to add before you had children, a feeling you've had most of your life. And then people will come up with this, what I call trauma language, core language. And an answer to that could be, um, I'd be abandoned. I'd be rejected. I wouldn't matter. Um, I'd be homeless. I'd be helpless. I'd be powerless. Another direction would be, I'll hurt somebody. I'll let people down. Um, I'll lose everything. I'll, I'll go crazy. I won't deserve to live. So there's many different directions that those questions 
can lead to this answer. Once we get this answer and I ask people in the book to do this, um, first of all, I teach them how to be a detective of this trauma language and then how to locate it in, in, in the family history. But the bridging question is who in your family might have had cause to feel that same way that they'll hurt a child? Who purposely or accidentally hurt a child? Who did something terrible? Who felt they didn't deserve to live? Who was abandoned? Who lost everything? You follow me? So that leads people to start thinking, oh, my grandmother or, or my aunt, or you see, that's, that's how I use the term, the bridging question. I'm definitely following you. I'm totally on board with this, <laughs> this conversation. Um, I wanted to ask you regarding, I guess, um, the healing methods in just a moment, but is it safe to say that a vast majority of, say, mental health problems like depression, anxiety, and people can't really locate the causes behind why they feel depressed, why they are anxious, and, and why they suffer with all these other issues. Is it safe to say that really the core behind those has been caused by inherited family trauma, or just is that the the root cause? That they just I wouldn't. I wouldn't it? say that only because. There's so much, so mm, I'm known as the inherited trauma guy, right? I write the book and it's a bestseller and, and a lot of people reading about inherited trauma. And I spend 80% of the time working with attachment trauma, yeah. early trauma that happens in utero or in our first few years of life where something compromised our safety and security. And now we have a trauma response. But I like your question because if, if there's trauma, in previous generations, that trauma affects parenting. It affects mothering and fathering. So let's say our mom uh, came from uh, a, a family where she didn't get a lot of uh, connection with her own mom, or she was one of 12 kids, or she was in the hospital when she was a baby, and she didn't trust the care she got from her mom. She can't turn around and give that care to us. So in a sense, yes, it's generational, but where I'm working is with the attachment trauma with us and our mom. Did that make sense? It does make sense. So what age should we start the healing process? If you're listening to this podcast, start the healing process. Um, so in answer to your question, uh, what age? Uh, really? Mm, such a good question. So I... Ah, this takes me into so many di directions. What age? I'll tell you this. I don't take on a client until they're in their 20s or 30s or even 40, uh, because a lot of times they haven't done enough inner work um, to, uh, to not be hijacked by the ego and the limbic system. That's a whole other story. Um, Carl Jung the, the, wouldn't take a client till he or she was 40 because for the first part of our life, we're hijacked in a way where our, our authentic self is masked by career drives, hormonal drives, drives to have children, drives to have a family, drives to be successful, drives to have a career. And all of this, Jay, masks our true self until we have a dark night of the soul, a crisis. So that crisis often happens in 20s, 30s, 40s. And all of a sudden, we lose our health, we lose our family, we lose our, our, our job, we uh, have an autoimmune disease. And that experience makes us dive deep 
into our shadow, into um, the way the ego is trying to drive the uh, uh, strategize to keep us safe. So in answer to your question, I don't take patients till after they're 21. That's first of all. And generally, I like to work with people in their later 30s and 40s um, because they've already had that dark night of the soul. But can children also begin to heal inherited trauma? Yeah, a mom and dad can say tell a story. Um, so, you know, I had a mom. She died when I was little. Let's draw a picture and welcome her into the home. Dad can say, yeah, I had this brother. Um, it was very painful for my family. We didn't talk about it, but let's, you know, I'd like to tell you about my brother. He's very important. So that the people in these traumas are welcomed into the family history, into the family lore, into the family, so that the traumas then don't occur because they're re rejected, excluded, ignored, not talked about. That's my answer. So the way you would help a child would be that hasn't had a crisis would be completely different to Absolutely. a 21-year-old. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, people ask me all the time, why do these traumas repeat? Not everybody that experience, uh, experiences trauma in their family, not everybody manifests in the effects of inherited family trauma. And I ask myself for a long time, why is this? Why do some people seem to relive the suffering and other people not? What seems to anchor these traumas? What, what creates these repetitions? And what I found is this, and this is what's important, Jay, the traumas aren't talked about. The healing is incomplete because the grief is too great. The pain is too great. The embarrassment of the suicide, the shame. Um, you know, grandma was a prostitute and we don't want to talk about her or, or that sort of thing. Um, so we don't complete the healing or the people in our family system. They're rejected. They're not talked about. They're excluded. They're left out They're They're um, cast out. Um, you know, our father that had the affair and our mother, you know, we don't talk about dad. He's a bad guy. But then we just create more trauma in the next generation. So whenever there's not been any resolution then aspects of these traumas show up in later generations and unconsciously will repeat the pattern or share a similar unhappiness until that trauma finally has a chance to heal. Freud, a hundred years ago, over a hundred years ago, um, talked about repetition compulsion. Yeah. And he was talking about these traumas they keep repeating and trauma is ultimately looking for its expansion. So it keeps repeating and repeating for a chance to heal so we can um, uh, heal, heal the family trauma. Mm. I've always wondered because I've heard so many stories and even with my own traumatic experiences and just how nasty it really is. And I've always wondered why is trauma so damn nasty? Like why does it do so much damage to our bodies, our minds, our psyches? It even has a spiritual component that can rip you apart. So why does it, uh, it might be a very difficult question to actually. No, it's, a, it's actually an easy, it's an easy question. So when the trauma happens, again, we talked about there's this chemical change. And so we're selecting genes to help us survive, but we're also stuck in the trauma response. And the trauma response is, so there's a uh, trauma response has a defense. There's a tightening, a shutting down, a numbing out a disconnecting, a dissociating. And then because of that, we have these strategies of the 
I'll, I'll use the word the ego, but the strategies to help us survive, be a people pleaser, uh, don't get too close to people. I'm not saying these are good strategies. These are trauma strategies. So the trauma strategies, you know, um, don't trust people, um, please everybody, uh, be a giver, but don't receive. So these strategies keep us mired in the trauma response because, um, uh, you know, we, we don't know that there's something greater than this two-year-old, this ego response, this strategy that's running, running the show. And then when we have one of these great um, dark nights of the soul, when we realize we're screwed, man, we're, we're down, we're, we're, nothing's helping, then we start to get authentic and we start to heal that stress response. Um, we, we, don't, we, can, we can do it at 10, 20, 19, 25, 30. It doesn't matter what age. The key is to have enough inner focus um, to look inward at our shadow parts, the ugly parts, the difficult parts, the uncomfortable sensations, the feelings we don't want to feel, the inner loneliness, the terror, the anxiety. So, you know, this, I guess this is leading me into how we heal. Do you, can I, can I go into yes, how we heal? Please. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I, I think it's, you know, I've given everybody the bad news and, and I think, I think it's time for the good news. So we've got to have positive experiences, Jay, that, that change our brain. And then we need to practice every day, the new feelings and the new sensations connected with these positive experiences. Because when we do this, we, we then um, change our brain that's stuck in these strategies. Um, so we change our brain. We, we create new neural pathways. We also stimulate the release of feel-good neurotransmitters like uh, serotonin and dopamine and GABA. Um, we also stimulate the release of uh, feel-good hormones in our body like estrogen and oxytocin. Um, but even the very genes involved in the body's stress response, they begin to change. Like I said earlier, we can change the way our DNA expresses. So what are these positive experiences? They can be, like I teach in the book, experiences of receiving comfort or support, even when there is none, or having feelings of compassion for ourselves for what we went through, or even compassion for our mom or dad when they were little for what they went through, instead of hating them to have a bigger view and say, ah, of course my dad was violent. Look what happened to him when he was little. And, or even a practice of gratitude um, or, you know, every night we think of the things we're grateful for or a generosity practice where every day we do something kind for somebody, a practice of loving kindness or practicing mindfulness, ultimately anything that, that allows us to feel strength or peace or joy in our, in our body, connecting with those feelings of curiosity about what, 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 why does this feel good? What am I doing that makes this feel, that makes my body feel better? Having curiosity, wonder, awe, all these feelings that I mentioned, all these practices, these types of experiences feed the prefrontal cortex. And, and, and that helps us reframe the stress response so it is a chance to downregulate, a chance to calm down. So the idea is to pull uh, energy away, traction away from the trauma brain, the limbic system, the limbic brain, the amygdala, our overactive amygdala that's become twice its normal size, all beefed up through trauma, and then bring engagement to the forebrain, specifically the prefrontal cortex, to help us um, 
integrate what we're experiencing, integrate these new experiences, and then our brains can change. We know from mindfulness studies, and I talk about this in the book, that, that practicing mindfulness, it actually shrinks the amygdala and thickens the prefrontal cortex. There's, I know there's a lot of healing strategies and, and with people like yourself doing a lot of research and uh, giving a lot of people all this advice, it is extremely helpful. Is it truly possible to fully heal from trauma? You ask some good questions, my friend. Um, I, I, I think, um, that Curiosity. Never, yeah, I think we never quite go all the way and there's a good, and, and that's, so let me say it this way. Yes, it's possible to heal our trauma response so that we have a lot more well-being in our body. So we notice this great expanses of well-being. And then when something happens, we don't go down as low or stay down for so long. For example, um, when we begin to heal that trauma response, something can knock us down, but immediately we now have the resource to go into the body and start feeling um, the positive experience. Let me go back into positive experiences because basically to put it in a nutshell, um, we need to practice being with the uncomfortable sensations in our body. That's the key until we can reach what's beneath them, Jay. And, and those are the life-giving sensations that we that, that are really going on um, where there's pulsing of our blood, tingling, um, our body softening as we breathe more. There's an expanding in our body. There, we can feel our blood flowing. We can feel waves of energy or waves of warmth um, or we can actually, if we tune in, we can feel the sparkling of our particles of energy, or, or maybe we feel ourselves going in a figure eight inside. This is a very common place that my clients get to when I work with them. They'll feel a swirl of energy or the energy going up and down, like the old lava lamps of the 1970s, or, or they'll feel you know, the, a, a circular motion in their body. These are positive sensations, and we need to get to them. So, and then once we get to them, we need to hold the positive sensations for about at least 60 seconds and do that six times a day, because that can be enough to change our brain and calm our stress response. Now, the question you asked me, do we ever fully heal? I always think there's a vestige, a little shadow, a little ghost of that trauma response within, which keeps us honest. Yeah. And I think when it happens, Jay, it's like an opportunity to get to these positive sensations. So I really like that question because it's it's really letting me take the listener to something happens, we feel terror or anxiety or, or shut down or numb, and to use that as a doorway, to actually go into the numb or the pain or the tightening as a doorway and breathe and send our exhale down through it, almost like threading it with our exhale. Because every time we weave Every time, sorry, every time we breathe, we weave ourselves back together. Mm -hmm. And then getting back to these positive sensations. For me, that's the key to healing. Mm -hmm. um, getting through what's uncomfortable, down to what's positive, and then holding what's positive. So when the bad stuff happens, the uncomfortable stuff happens, we know what to do. Oh, yeah, that feels like crap. So I'm going to go be with it and then get down here to where I've learned to resource my body 
what I've noticed is, and it kind of speaks towards what you were talking about a moment ago regarding the ego, the ego can be a massive trickster at times. The ego loves oh, yeah. environments. The ego is so, so great at deceiving us and making us feel like we, yeah, just going through absolute hell uh, and making us feel like we're worthless, which, and it just makes the trauma response even worse for us. I've noticed with, with all my traumas in, in the past and the, the healing journey that I've been on, which has only been in the last two years when I've realized that they existed <laughs> and uh, had to go on the journey. But I, I really do believe that regarding fully healing, I think it's a daily process of waking up and then putting into practice, persistent practice, I call it, all those strategies you mentioned. Like for me, it's exercise, it's being out in nature, it's putting these healthy practices in place, creating a kind of a sense of balance in a way that stops you, stops the ego from taking control. And if, if it does, it, it just like reminds you if that trauma response, like breeds its ugly head again, it kind of reminds you of being humble in more ways than one. <laughs> so. Yeah. I love what you're saying. Exactly. Every day commit to something that, you know, makes you feel good. You know, uh, get it, like you said, getting out of nature, exercising, petting your cat, playing your guitar, um, uh, where I have my, my clients focus is, uh, you know, often I'll have them say, so put your hand here where, um, that place on your chest gets tight and maybe put your other hand down here where, um, your, uh, you hold that numbness in your womb or intestines or, or that lower part of your body and, uh, relax your, uh, hamstring muscles. So you can feel an opening at your pelvic floor and, you know, all these ways to, get back into the body and then just coast with these inner sensations. Let yourself feel um, your blood pulsing or that feeling of releasing or expanding or that figure eight in your body and really holding the sensation. I want to say this again for at least 60 seconds and then repeating it six times a day. Have you done much, much research into psychedelics and their role in healing at all? No, I haven't. And, and I know a lot of my colleagues um, are talking about psychedelics and their role in healing. Um, I've not done much research on it. What's your personal opinion on them? Because I, I personally wouldn't do it. <laughs> That's my personal opinion. But You, you know, Jay, I, I'm open. I've not done psychedelics. Um, I just don't know. And I, I sort of like to keep in, uh, talk about the things that I know about. So um, I'll leave that one for my colleagues to answer. Of course. Um, yeah. I, th I thought I would ask just out of curiosity. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I, I just haven't studied it enough to know. Yeah. That's totally fine for me. Neither have I. So <laughs> I was just curious <laughs> there. But this has been a, a really, really fascinating conversation. Is there any other healing strategies that you want to mention? Some things that you are researching at the moment that is fascinating you that you want to share that you haven't put in the book anything like that oh man um yeah like eighteen thousand things um because we could talk all day um so yeah i i would just tell people um if, if they haven't read the book i really love the book it's a great read um i i try i try to teach 
I do teach people how to become detectives of what I call their trauma language, the things that they say. And then that's the first part of the book. That's also where I talk about the science. And then the second part of the book, I lead people through their family tree to drop their genogram, the traumagram. And then in the third part of the book, I give people strategies uh, to calm the brain because really it's about um, uh, calming that limbic system, calming down, regulating that limbic brain. Um, Yeah. I can't wait to finish the book. And when it does arrive, I'll (laughs) dive into it. I've got so many books regarding. (laughs) um, And I think I want to add this one definitely to my, my ever growing collection. Cause I, I, I honestly believe that you cannot not talk about this enough because it affects every single person, some to a different extent and different level. And you can never not, have as many strategies at your back and call to heal from it. And I love how you're mentioning the trauma language because it is different for, for people. I, I do know that. Their, their triggers, all those sorts of things, uh, which we could dive further into, <laughs> but I want to be respectful of your time, my friend. Two quick final questions if you're okay with that. Uh, this is a, another one of my favorite questions, but what do you love the most about yourself and your story? Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I think it goes back to everything that we're talking about. As a young man, I lived um, uh, a very traumatized life. I was strewn with anxiety, I mean, just, just anxious and depressed. And I didn't know how I would get out of it. And I think um, doing the work, opening up those places that were uncomfortable and being able to live in uh, now at this age, having peace. And sometimes I wake up and go, my goodness, I've been feeling well-being for, for hours. And, you know, just these feelings of happiness that I didn't know as a young man. I, happiness, I, I would just say well-being is probably a word. Um, just feeling this uh, mass of being overtaken with this joy of being alive, of looking at that mountain outside my window or, or um, I would say I'm most thrilled about that, that I made it, you know, I made it from um, misery to a place of contentment. Um, So what was the second part of that question? Love about yourself and love about your story. There it is. I think I answered both. You did. Uh, Well done. Thank you for that. I think your story about how when you, healed the relationship between your mother, you got your side back. I think that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect it. It was sort of, you know, I was living with the idea that, okay, I'm just not going to be able to see. And that's just the way it is. And, you know, that's, I'll just have to make do. And, but I did the work anyway, right? I, I did the work anyway. I um, healed my relationship with my mom. I, I have a story in the book I tell, but I won't tell it here because it's a funny story about how she goes to hold me and I feel like I'm going to explode. And I also healed a relationship with my dad, a Marine sergeant, a tough guy, a, uh, um, a construction worker. And I tell that story in the book too, um, how, I heal, how I heal with my parents, uh, which I didn't think I could ever do. And, you know, I fell back in love with them. And um, um, I don't know where I was going. Where was I going? What were we talking about? Oh, I was just oh yeah, getting the sight back. Right, yeah. the sight back. So doing this work and all of a sudden, one day I wake up and I can see and, and I, the only thing I could connect it to, Jack, was I'd done the inner work. And 40 years later, 30 years later, um, I realized that it was the inner work. Mm. 
Well, I'm, I, for one, am so grateful for your research and for sharing it in this this book as well and for sharing it with me today. Like you just allowing my curiosity to run wild, even though I haven't finished the book. <laughs> um, I love I loved our talk. It was your questions were really smart, and it took <laughs> us and it took us into really good places. Thank you so much for for helping me out with with all the answers too. But my final question for you, my friend, this is my all time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end of my conversations. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Oh, boy. I think I'm so boring that it's the same answer. (laughs) It's okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's really, you know, I think I answered the the question, the, the success question in the beginning and these three questions all the same way. It's that, you know, when we take that time to 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 be willing to be with what's terrifying, what's intolerable, what's completely uncomfortable, um, because many of us are so anxious and terrified. And once we make contact with that feeling inside, we immediately go to TikTok or we, mm-hmm. or we start an addiction or we start, or we drink or we text somebody on the phone or we binge watch a zillion movies because we can't stay inside to be with these un- intolerable sensations. So what I would say is um, the, the greatest success in my life is exactly what I've been talking about through all these questions, which is having gone from uh, completely traumatized from all the orphan grandparents and the the mothering and fathering that didn't that, that didn't connect and um, the um, uh, anxiety I had for the first part of my life uh, and then the physical symptoms to be where I am now at 64, which might might as well be 100 uh, to, to be 64 and to look back and say, gosh, I have so many expanses of well-being that last a long time, even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of uh, all, all the trauma that surrounds me, where I can be a mentor and help other people, uh, which is why I wrote the book in the first place, to help people who had no idea uh, what was going, what was wrong with them. They had no idea. They had these unexplained anxieties, these unexplained dep- <clears throat> symptoms <clears throat> these un- I can tell we're done because my throat's going um, these unexplained anxieties these unexplained symptoms these unexplained depressions so I wrote the book and said okay you've got stuff that's unexplained dig in here and in the book you'll see I go half toward attachment and half toward inherited trauma because I want people to see that they can find their trauma find themselves and then do the work um, to help them have uh, peace because that's what it's about, to have peace. That's it. Can I just say you don't look like you're 64? For those people, <laughs> yeah, you look like you're in your 40s. No, oh, thank 40s. you. So, but anyway, Mark, thank you so, so much. That's, wait, wait, so that's what it is, right? So when you get peace, you look younger. So, exactly, um, longevity. <laughs> when, you, when you work really, really hard at healing yeah. from your traumas. But Mark, thank you so much for your time today. I'll make sure everyone knows where to connect with you online, get your book. 
all those things will be in the show notes below. But thank you so much for joining me. Also, I have a training too. The training, oh, yes, please. Yeah, no, it's important because I have um I have a training for clinicians um, who want to bring this work into their own work. Um, it's streamable. I just completed it last year. It's re- in fact, it includes some classes from Australia um, mm-hmm. last year. Um, online, I did a few classes in Australia, and I included them when there was an online um, conference. But it, it's um, for whether you just want to do a personal deep dive with me, or you're a clinician and you want to teach, uh, learn how to do this work with your clients or your coach. Um, that training's great. That's all on your website too. All, all on the website. Yeah. Amazing. I'll make sure everyone knows where to find that. But Mark, thank you once again for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you, Jay. I enjoyed it. We had fun. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.